So what did you notice in your exploration of the second foundation of mindfulness, exploring the Vedana quality within your own experience? What came up? Lots of things fast. Lots of things fast. (laughs) So it was just um, interesting because this is a continuation of my very first my very first night, I think, where I, heard, or I went to an insight meditation practice with Jack many years ago. And, and I remember him talking about, we will find our true human nature through this. And, uh, and so they come fast and furious, you know, each footstep, each uh, bodily sensation. I could feel my heart pounding, uh, coolness on my feet. So it was just creating more awareness and bringing things into focus quickly. Great. Really clarifying. Mm -hmm. Happy for you. Yeah. Um, It it was hard just to stay with the Vedna for me. And it felt like I needed a rising and passing to regulate Mm -hmm. myself a bit. Exquisiteness of just the sun on my skin, the little yellow flower, the silvery threads of the spider web up in the oak tree. And, you know, getting into that, there was like almost an intoxicated high feeling to it. And feeling it, and then going with it and feeling it, and then hearing a buzz of an insect and thinking. Mm Is that a mosquito? Screw the percepts, I'm going to smash it. And then thinking, oh, I'm a Dharma student. And, <laughs> and you know, like, oh, there's a tone of, oof, bad papa today's my five year old's last day of preschool. Now. And I'm kind of missing that. And I'm still feeling that. Can you speak up a little? Just yeah, so got, I'm missing my five year old's last day of preschool, which is today. Right. <laughs> And uh, feeling that, and then noticing, like the beautiful fish with the overall tone, and noticing that. But if, for me, it almost felt like I had to stay a little bit with arising and passing, because it's kind of my nature to want to uh, feel the pleasant and and hold on to it. Yeah, beautiful. So there's, I mean, there's. Whatever we end up experiencing, we're revealing the Dharma to us. And that's what I loved about being a scientist, is that we were not forging belief systems, and that we wanted to actually, we're just, I think it was uh, Einstein who said, I want to know God's mind. So I'm not interested in my own beliefs, I'm actually in the realm of what, what is this nature of being alive? And then we're all particular people. And so you're learning how to navigate yourself with some general theory, some specific experiences, and knowing what works for you. And then the rising and passing for some people is sobering, it's clarifying. For other people, it's busy and it's, it's destabilizing. Again, we're, we're nibbling on each chocolate and then going back to the ones we really liked. <laughs> And that's totally appropriate. There's a, this is a banquet 
offering. And so then you're learning to navigate yourself in the middle of that. Seeing the arising and passing nature of experience around pleasant experience is one of the ways we mature our addictions to not grasp onto things that are transient. And so it's seeing the arising and passing nature of pleasant experiences that deepening the intimacy with that begins to um, weaken our grasping nature. That we're not fighting it so much. Wisdom itself is why I don't eat as many uh, candy bars now as I used to. Is I just have wisdom. It didn't take a lot of force. I never had to go to like a huge um, camp to train myself out of it. It's just through time. It's like, ah, I don't know why I was so into these when I was younger. <laughs> so wisdom kind of helps us steer. Another thing is that we're inviting our attention to be more intimate, possibly with unpleasant experiences, just to build that capacity. And yet we always have to pace ourselves with unpleasant experiences. They're wearing. They can be tiring. And at some point, we all zero out. Our battery is just dead. We can't meet more unpleasant experiences. And so to learn how to not chase after pleasant experiences, but nourish yourself with neutral experiences, pleasant experiences. And you might need that depending on um, what you've just come through in your life. It may not be the time to be more intimate with unpleasant experiences. You may actually have a fatigue in you and you actually need more restorative practices. That's also fine. So nibble on the chocolates and then realize it's not... It's not uh, unwise. It's actually wise for me to drink in the beauty around me. And yeah, there are painful things right over here, but it's not the time for me to explore them. Over time, that becomes a skillful choice to know when and how much and how deep you go down into those experiences and how you actually pull yourself out before you begin to lose capacity. So visiting unpleasant experiences, even as saying this monk, Upandita, who was known for being a warrior monk and getting people deeper into places they didn't want to go. And the people would go to work with him so that he would get them into places they were too sophisticated to get into. Even he said that pain is wearing and it can take your whole perspective down with it. So knowing how to rejuvenate yourself. Um, and he didn't talk enough about that, Upandita, he would say, pain is wearing, visit it. But he didn't also talk about getting in contact consciously with pleasant experiences. As in his monastery and getting sort of worn down because I didn't feel enough coaching to go to what was pleasant. And Joseph Goldstein happened to be passing through Burma and he was invited out to the forest monastery where I was practicing just to see it and then uh, Saida Upandita um, asked him to give a Dharma talk, sort of on the fly. He was just passing through. And so suddenly Joseph Goldstein was there, and just hearing Western Dharma, I was like, oh my God, I feel like he's pouring uh, water on these hot rocks of this Burmese practice. Like, oh, I just, just sizzling and relieving and sizzling. And then he read the Mary Oliver poem about 
wild geese. And I was like, ah, oh, the geese, the geese. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Something other than this dukkha immersion. And so I, I'm grateful Upandita held my feet to the flame and just like, there is a first noble truth, get to know it. And But uh, I needed poems about geese to pace myself with the amount of suffering that Upandita was getting us to acknowledge. And it, it, for our temperament, Western temperance, I don't know a lot of people that should practice a lifetime with Upandita's guidance, but most people their practice is a little bit more upright and they're grateful and there's bookends. There was the before and after and then like I had my relationship to him. He woke me up in some areas, but it was a little bit too much um, contact with the unpleasant. So then there's a whole sophistication, but get to know it and then through the knowing of it, you can then wakefully choose uh, how you balance and restore yourself. And you'll see, you'll teach yourself, you can't always run from unpleasant experiences, nor should you submerge yourself in them if you have choice. And then if you don't have choice, then there's a sort of um, trying to be as conscious as you can while you're going through a difficult time. And there have been times in my life that I didn't have choice, but there was a way to suffer less, and that was trying to meet the experience, taking breaks when I could, so I could regroup and meet the experience. Yeah. Um, I found this really helpful. One thing that it changed for me was, um, so, so like you were saying, the fish tank, sort of being aware of the state of the water in the fish tank. Uh, to, today, my, the mental state just kind of mirrored the weather and that like I woke up foggy and then the fog just burned off and then it became like very calm and pleasant and like pretty focused though sometimes getting pulled into thoughts um, and so often on retreat uh, some of the thoughts that I find like sticky with the pleasant Vedana are planning thoughts, but specifically about like how am I going to show love to people in my life? Like how am I going to show love to my community? How am I going to show more love to my dad? And so like it's really hard for me to not cling to those because mm-hmm. I want to, it feels so wholesome. It's like I'm going to plan how to like be nice to everyone. Um, and today I just noticed as those thoughts were coming up, kind of this refrain that we've been talking about, like, oh, the not clinging, you know, it's okay, like, that's that's a nice thing, just acknowledging that it's pleasant to care about community and people, and but then just being able to rest in this, like, really kind of full, like, expansive mind state that was, that was pleasant without needing to cling. Yeah, great navigation. Great navigation. And that you're articulating well, it's not to push away pleasant experiences so we don't cling to them, nor is it getting entangled in them, but having, um, it's almost like creating uh, the space for which these experiences can pass through. 
And some of them are really worth acting on. But you might first clean up your relationship to what you're about to do so that when you do it, it's got sort of as most, as the most positive qualities behind it without the sticky attachments. And um, one, of the, <clears throat> one of the challenges of being a monk in Burma um, was that my mind and heart kept getting more clear. I would do, there would be these three-day cycles. I'd have a suffering day, a practice day, and a fruition day. And then there'd be a suffering day almost immediately following the fruition day. And then I'd do my steady practice, come out of the suffering train, and then there'd be a fruition. I was like, oh my God, it's exhausting to kind of keep doing this. But then my, every time my mind got brighter and some of the, the visions would be really beautiful, I could, if I could let them pass by, appreciate them, let them pass by, I wasn't exhausted afterwards. But if I got compelled by them, and the more beautiful my mind got, the more compelling these notions were. And there'd always be a size of something beautiful I couldn't meet. And then on the, the crash afterwards, there'd be the size of some discomfort I couldn't meet, some doubt about myself. And if I hadn't been so deeply burrowed into the jungles of Burma, I probably would have gotten many flights out of there, but it's just so hard to get out of the monastery. And by the time I was really formulating a plan to go, the mood would pass. I'm like, okay, one more round, one more week. One more round, one more week. But one of the things I learned to do is that no matter how beautiful it is, open-handed, that sort of open-handed relationship, um, and that would allow the mind to have the beauty of the experience and have it fade, knowing it's a transient experience. And the mind wouldn't got, have gotten tangled up in it. So the mind would be a little bit more expansive and then another beautiful thing would come through and those beautiful things would come through and they'd actually be very healing for the mind. But if, if I grabbed onto it because it was too beautiful not to lock onto, then I would start uh, struggling and so it was, a, it was a whole training how to have beautiful experiences and let them come and go. And then the flip side is, you know, feeling a lot more, you get more beautiful experiences and you also just feel a lot more of the challenges. A really <clears throat> um, heartbreaking experience. This, um, there were all these tree frogs in Burma. And I heard this peeping frog and it was kind of keeping me company. <clears throat> and then it, it started putting out this squawk. I'd never heard the frogs squawk like that before. And I looked out my window and a, a snake had gotten this frog. And I was like, oh, I could save the frog, but the snake, I could starve. And I'm a monk, I can't interrupt a life cycle like that. So I sat there and it took a long time for the snake to exhaust the frog. Where, and the frog, they just had this battle and I just, it was so heartbreaking to be that intimate with the snake's need to eat, the frog's dying peeps, it's understanding that it was losing. And I was just like, I'm in the middle of it. And I just had never felt life and death and the predator-prey relationship like that. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this is excruciatingly painful to kind of be, to feel life on this level and its fragility and the needs for life to, you know, some parts of life to pursue. 
their hungers and like coming at the cost of others. And so a lot of unpleasant Vedana, but the stretching of my heart to care for the frog and the snake at the same time and, and be there while that whole process happened. Um, so becoming intimate with life is not necessarily easy, but as we do, those moments are challenging, but they're, they arise and they pass. And the heart that's left over that could stay conscious while those experiences arose and passed was much more developed, much more tuned in. Um, and so the overall impact of that type of practice was a much more beautiful mind and heart space. But the passage points to go through, um, there's always an upper limit of what you can be conscious of, and then you're stretching beyond that. Let's so see if there's um, people who are a little slower to collect themselves and so. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. I wanted to comment on an observation, just a contrasting observation. In my sitting practice today, it's viscerally felt more unpleasant having to work with that. And then walking practice, feeling viscerally very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a little seduced by both, a little more seduced by pleasant. Um, and then somewhere as I was watching all of that, neutral kind of crept in, as, as you had talked about, to kind of observe how they are simultaneously happening. While that pull of one, there is another here with it. And I found a lot of resource in neutral, mm-hmm. which was a little new for me because it, for me in the past, it's been more, um, I think on the numbing track or on the checking out track, but it actually had a very subtle aliveness to it that was very grounding. Mm-hmm. I had an experience of being excited about seeing something and then feeling my feet, just the neutrality of my feet with contact to that. It wasn't overly big, it wasn't unpleasant, it was just very alive. That's a, a really good articulation of what a common trajectory of having up and down practice, but over time, the taste of the third noble truth that there is a way out of this craving, dissatisfaction. Um, cycle is that as our hearts and minds become more intimate, we can feel more experience. And actually the preponderance of most of our experience is to the neutral. Actually, there are are times that you can feel a lot of pain and at times you can feel a lot of pleasure. But a lot of it is sort of like in the mild range. You actually start having the power of mind that can stay conscious in neutral fields without checking out or seeking the next candy bar. You actually can stream through neutral experiences and feel the relief. It's like, oh, I'm actually, this is, this is where I can really rest and regroup and kind of balance out. And then from that, I can take another wave of pleasure or another wave of pain. But I, I'm having more stability of heart and mind even towards neutral experiences where the tendency is to check out because they don't, 
deliver if your operating system is more pleasure, less pain. Neutral is a waste of time in that. Yet, for most of us, most of our experiences tend to be in that mild range. Um, if you're if you're lucky, if you're not in a really hard circumstance personally, or um, if like regions where there's war um, or communities that are suffering tremendously, there may not be a preponderance of neutral. But even in those, it's still waves that come. So having um, having a heart and mind that can actually rest consciously in the neutrality of the breath or body sensations. And also, um, sometimes it's the perception, the memory that's pleasant, but the actual experience is not terribly pleasant. It's just sort of the facts. It's just data. Like, oh, there's green and tan, and, and my association with it is pleasant. But as a direct experience, it's, you know, it's color, so it doesn't scream pleasure or scream pain. But my associations are more where the pain comes from. Yeah. I definitely think that um, acceptance uh, is uh, an important key for tackling all, all these uh, aspects. And uh, the the very short experience of an hour walking now it was very it was a good teaching for me as I started very dull very under the effect of problems that I have these days and uh, I said to myself I'm a I'm surrounded by such uh, a beautiful environment, uh, the sky is blue. Uh, why do I have to, to be like this? But, uh, I, I, so very, very quietly, I said to myself, OK, just uh, wait and accept unpleasant experiences and neutral experiences. At the end, at the end, in the last, uh, let's say, five minutes, uh, really, I experienced uh, a sense of uh, arising, something new. And I say, ah. so I was, in a way, trained by by my walking, and uh, I was at the same time. <coughs> the river and the vessel, in order to take your metaphor. Something something really changed without uh, too much effort, not wanting, 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 craving for something better, feeling better, just uh, accepting. And then something happened. Also a very beautiful description of what is common over time, ups and downs of practice, but over time, is that you'll notice 
um, your sense of self becomes dense and isolated when you're struggling with Vedana. And as you can meet the Vedana of the moment, you actually can soften your selfing structures. You can risk um, letting them go quiet because you're actually streaming. And the well-being, you, if you're pursuing happiness, you might reify a self pursuing it. But if you can drop into the stream of what's happening, the boat itself begins to also be part of the stream. And you can feel your selfing structures that are there for your protection, getting you away from pain, getting you towards pleasure, establishing your security. When those are not called upon, then there's um, the relaxing of self, relaxing of this reified self. And so it's part of the, one of the deepest teachings in um, Buddhism is dependent origination. And it's all about how we construct selves and they all are rooted in our struggle with Vedana. And all of our self-structures are, can seen as elaborate Vedana management systems to create neutrality, to create um, comfort, to create pleasure, to keep ourselves from pain. Um, or some people who like the identity of pain might reify their story around their relationship to pain. And even that's still trying to navigate pain, but through an identity and relationship to it. So a lot of our selfing structures that make us feel isolated um, and that we can get very lost within and don't know how to actually stream through experiences and be nourished by current experiences because the very selfing mechanism creates a, um, a hard membrane that experiences can't penetrate. And yet we're trying to find nourishment, but the harder our self-structure is, the less likely we'll find actual nourishment. And yet those selfing structures, until we can work without them, are better than having no selfing structures and feeling kind of just tossed about by experience. So we develop selfing structures, then we develop the capacity not to need them, and then we find that there's a humility and a fluidity in the relationship to experience. And more and more we can actually take the stream of direct experience without having to produce uh, an autonomous self to then battle experience. There's one more question over here. It can be. It can be bare attention. There's a teacher in Burma named Saida Utejaniya, and he's made a claim that the direct experience is actually neutral, 
And it's, if you're having preferences, you're adding perception, you're adding pleasure or pain to an experience, but that any bodily pain is just collection of sensations, and it's the liking and not liking of it that begins to make them pleasant or unpleasant. So it's sort of a, he has a very clear belief that he thinks is drawn out of the practice, that things become more neutral. But the neutrality isn't bland. And the mind, because the actual, the, the peace and spaciousness of the mind, the Vedna might be neutral, but there's, this also comes out of this tradition that when cultivated well, peacefulness is so pleasant, it's a more pleasure, it's more pleasurable than pleasure. That pleasure is actually a little bit agitating and stillness and peacefulness is more rewarding and, and so there ends up being a preference for the, the vast spaciousness that can come through neutrality. And there's seen that even pleasure brings with it some rippling waves of wanting and liking and, and it's, it's a little agitating. It's great, but there actually is a peacefulness below pleasure that is, um, is so healing and so relieving and so non-agitating that if you can be conscious while you go into that type of tranquility or peacefulness, that it has a, um, it's like suddenly you're the size of empty space and the, the spaciousness, the timelessness, the reliability of that type of peacefulness is um, incredibly healing. And actually, you don't want the pleasant thought to come in because it already begins to um, orient the mind towards it versus being able to have just things pass through. And you don't want to have to do that much work not to chase pleasant things, even if they have them be a little sticky. So then you're just washing, streaming through um, neutral experiences, but it's not bland and it doesn't feel shrunken at all. It actually feels very expansive and very healing to be in that um, vast stream of neutrality. Uh, so it's an odd thing to describe because our common experience of neutrality is boring or deflating or kind of like, ew, I don't know if I, if that's where this is headed, I don't know if I want to take the boat all the way to the end. I think I'm going to get off at vast pleasure and not take that last round. Yet when people compare the two experientially, everybody's like, oh my God, the tranquility. I've been looking all my life to find a resolution to my wanting. And it wasn't in the pleasure, it was in the relief of the wanting when I find that it was just to find my mind that at peace. So it's not even the pleasure of getting, the pleasure of having, it's that finally this wanting has exhaled and I've known temporary or permanent peace from the mind that is still unsatisfiedly looking around. I guess what, what, I, what I was struggling with there was really sort of feeling, it felt like the word that came to mind was it just felt magical. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm, I'm in my head saying, <laughs> well, that's pleasant. Well, check it out. Check it out because 
light. There are times that you can like a painful experience. And it's not necessarily morbid that you like a painful experience. So somebody massaging a really deep knot and it's painful, but I, I can already tell that they're really doing good work on it and like, ah, oh, this is really good. I'm grateful for this painful experience. Or finally being able to cry and come out of numbness and it's painful, but it, it feels good. So that you actually are preferring it doesn't necessarily make the Vedana pleasant. And so that, that's a different orientation of the mind, what it's choosing. Is it choosing neutrality? Is it choosing pain? Is it choosing pleasure? Just because it's choosing something and liking it doesn't then make the quality of the Vedana pleasant. It can be neutral, but you're still choosing it. And so that, that's a very subtle, you know, if you can actually discern, like, I'm choosing neutral, or wow, I'm choosing pain, I'm choosing pleasure, that choice, you can kind of investigate why, you know, what's going on in that, but that you're choosing something doesn't automatically make it a pleasant Vedana. The Vedana could be neutral, and you're still clearly preferring it to pleasure or pain, or vice versa. So let's take a um, 10 minute bio stretch break and we'll come back for uh, the next session on Vedna. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.